You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This week's episode is brought to you by Awful Normals. Awful Normals is a three-piece punk band from Orange County, California. Their name is spelled A-W-F-U-L, Normals, like it's spelled normal. <laughs> Check out their upcoming EP, Songs of Love and Blame, mixed by legendary producer Ryan Green and mastered by Jason Livermore of The Blasting Room. Check out facebook.com forward slash awful.normals.com and Instagram at A-W-F-U-L underscore normals. Now here it is, their song, Times One. Hello and welcome to episode number eight of That One Time on Tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney. Uh, I'd like to thank you so much for checking out last week's episode with my good buddy Jake Dwiggins from the Ataris and the Widow Jenkins. Uh, had a really good time speaking with Jake. It had been a long time and uh, we're going to definitely have him back for a part two. So if you liked that, just wait. We're going to do a part two very, very soon. Hope you enjoyed uh, our band sponsor for this episode, uh, Awful Normals out of Orange County, California. My buddy Heath is actually in that band. Uh, he moved from Indiana out to California, and uh, they sound great, kind of that old-school fat record sound, which I love. So uh, if you're interested in becoming a band sponsor to the show, all you have to do is email me at tototpodcast at gmail.com. I'll give you all of the information on how you can do that. We've had two really good sponsors so far, and I am currently booking sponsors for future episodes. So if you're interested, hit me up, tototpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure that you're following us on all social media platforms. Uh, it's tototpodcast at every social media platform that you can think of. Uh, also, make sure that you go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast, and not just subscribe. Make sure that you rate and review if you enjoy it. Leave us five stars. If you don't enjoy it, leave us one star. 
whatever floats your boat. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this right now. This is an awesome episode. I got to have a conversation with Franz Stahl, a member of the hardcore band Scream, and also an ex-member of the Foo Fighters. You guys know who the Foo Fighters are. So uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, We just talked about all kinds of stuff. We talked about our kids. We talked about being on the road. Uh, It was just, it was a great conversation, and I'm very excited for you guys to check it out. So without further ado... Here it is, my conversation with Franz Stahl of Scream and the Foo Fighters. I'm all right, a little tired, but uh, I was up, for, up early a little bit. I had to uh, drop my son off at the bus stop. That's cool, man. How, uh, how old is your son? He's 15. 15? That's, that's cool, man. That's just one of them. Oh, yeah? I have a daughter. Yeah, I have a daughter. She's 20. She's in co- she's in college and uh she actually just went back to New York the other day. I have a uh two year old son and a seven month old daughter. Ah, <laughs> oh, congratulations. Yeah, I'm just getting into it, man, you know. Yeah, well it only gets better. Cool. So uh I would like to uh thank you for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I'm not um I'm sorry to say I'm not that familiar with your program, but uh, it looks cool. Yeah, it, it's fairly new. I'm I'm like six episodes deep right now, and I've I've had some good guests. Like my last episode, I had Kira from Black Flag, and and I've had uh, you know Eddie from Taking Back Sunday, a couple of different people. But uh, I was a fan That's of awesome. yours. I'm a fan of Scream. I'm a fan of the Foo Fighters. I'm a fan of a lot of the stuff you've done. So it was it's an honor for me to have you on the show, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. So uh, this is that one time on tour we talk a lot about being on the road, but we talk about other things, you know, being a musician and whatnot as well. So can you take me back to like when when Scream kind of got together? Like that was a pretty, I'm not sure how flourishing the scene was back when Scream got together in 81, but that that was a big scene. I mean, you had all those, you know, all the bands that became the Discord bands. Can you like kind of lead me up to what happened, how you guys got together? Yeah, well, I mean... Actually, I mean the scene wasn't the scene wasn't as big as people think it was or thought it was at least from the onset. Um, I mean it was very very small and Jesus Discord. Uh, I there was only a handful of bands and I think that what the the one of the first releases Flex Your Head and I mean there wasn't that much stuff out. There was really no place to play. Um, and Scream, you know, when Scream started out, we weren't even, well, we weren't even a part of the scene. We were basically just playing in our basement, (laughs) you know? You started that band with your brother, correct? I started the band with my brother and we had, uh, you know, we all lived in a house together with a bunch of roomies, and it was basically called the Scream House, and there were several incarnations of the Scream House, and it all kind of started from there, and just a long history and love of music and, and playing music. Had you played guitar for a long time before you started the band? Like, when did you start playing guitar? I st- well, in high school, basically. Well, I, I would say junior high school. Okay. Um, I'd always been surrounded by music. My old man was a was a manager of a band in the '60s in DC called The Hangman, and so my brother and I we were constantly around music. And it wasn't until I don't know 13. I can't remember when it was. I got my guitar, first guitar. Um, but I got my first guitar and I started jamming around with some school friends, you know, in their garages and basements. And then once I got into high school, uh, I met up with, uh, Skeeter and Kent and, uh, we just started jamming in our basement and brother wasn't really playing an instrument at times. So he just kind of, we joined in on vocals. So, you know, and it all started to happen. And we would have, uh, we would just be jamming in the basement and we started, you know, parties again and we were playing and we were just started out playing covers, you know, and uh, like, like really obscure stuff, garage band stuff. And, 
you know, stuff that we just started getting turned on to, you know, like the Dickies and, and this local band called the Raz and Buzzcock stuff and just the police and the jam and shit like, shit like that. And, uh, so we started having these parties and it just turned into this thing. And every weekend there'd just be loads and loads of kids from the high schools would come and we'd have these crazy parties and, and it would just be a big freak out. Cause they, you know, we were playing this music that they weren't used to and it was kind of crazy and, uh, it just grew and grew. And so getting back to the DC scene, it wasn't, we, we finally, you know, got hit to the DC scene, which was very small at the time. And we got one of our first gigs was like at Woodlawn High School. With cool. uh, like, yeah, with like SOA and some uh, some other bands. I can't remember who exactly. Was Henry singing for SOA when you guys played with them? Yeah, 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 no, definitely. And so it was that point that... Um, Ian had seen us play and and reached out to us and asked us to do a record on Discord. That's great. Yeah. And but at the time there was only a handful of DC bands and it was really kind of it was a small scene at the time, especially in eighty one. So had you guys done any like actual touring before Ian came? No. You just local stuff. It was just a few local gigs. I mean, like I said, we, we started out playing at a high school. There was no place to play. Yeah. Um, and then the 930 Club started having these, like, hardcore matinees. And that was uh, the first foray into, like, DC punk bands playing at clubs. Um, and then the Odd Party, uh, or like I said, at a school. Um and then once that record came out, um, we kind of hit the road and just never looked back. Wow. Um, but, uh, I mean, it got to the point at the scream houses that, you know, before it was just a handful of people, people we knew and, and kids from our high school and shit like that. And, you know, by the you know second or third scream house, we would have these parties and, uh, I started noticing like letter jackets from high schools, like way far away, you know? And at at that time, some of the punks started to venture into the suburbs, which was rare at the time. (laughs) Uh, Some of the DC guys, and it was just kind of freaking all these people out. And so inevitably it would just, I mean, there would just ended up being fights and just a lot of crazy shit went down. And finally, um, it just got a little too much, you know, we had to put a halt to it because of the cops and the fights, but they were crazy times and they were all were coming out of the basement at these scream houses at the time. And, um, you know, just crazy fights is a crazy story about our guy. Uh, one of my roommates, Danny King, you know, bit the thumb off of one guy and, <laughs> and like these crazy guys just confronting my brother, you know, and we're sitting there playing this music that was just kind of freaking him out. And he just trying, just basically confronting my brother. And he's sitting there with like a broken arm. He's got cast and, it, and it's just like, and then fight, the fight would ensue. And it just, you know, big throw down. But um, once the record came out, not only, you know, we, like I said, we just, we just got out on the road and never looked back. And so the party stopped and we were just always on the road, whether it be in the United States or in Europe. Well, that, how were, uh, how were those tours back then? I mean, I've heard the, the stories from, you know, some other bands from that time were, was it pretty brutal? Like the people like spitting on you and stuff like that, or did they like you guys right off the bat? They, um, well, I never, we never witnessed any of the any of the spitting i mean it was it was different than i mean because that shit happened in england amongst the the english bands and um i don't think the europeans were really a part of it and certainly the americans weren't a part of that kind of action so to speak um and um you know the the early tours for Scream in Europe were, were quite cool. We, we we played a lot of social centers and squats, and um, 
it was it was a very it it was a very cool and, and close knit punk rock community. And um, I remember one one of the first shows we did in Amsterdam at the squat called Von Hall. Um, I you know that's where we met this contingent of Italians who who had become our friends and and still to this day are our friends. Um, they'd driven eighteen hours from Italy wow. just to Amsterdam just to see a band on Discord. That's how that's how special it was and how how in tune you know a lot of these kids were to this to this music that was happening and to the DC scene. And so that really tripped me out, you know. Um, would never happen in the states. And uh, it was it was much more. Um, but still, it tripped me out that these kids were driving eighteen hours just to see some punk band in Amsterdam. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah. It, I mean, it was a different time. You did. You uh, book shows and you 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 made your plans uh, with illegal credit card phone numbers that you got on the back of rock and roll uh, maximum rock and roll fanzine out of San Francisco, and uh, you would book your tours and make your phone calls, you know, at phone booths along the way and stuff like that. Um, you know, this is this is before cell phones and computers and all that shit. I remember my my first band. Uh, we kind of did the same thing, man. We had book your own fucking life, which was the fanzine of of the era, I guess. And my my buddy worked at Walmart, and he would steal his phone cards, and we would just call all the places in that magazine and figure out a road, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know what I'm talking about. So it was it was very DIY, and um, it, it, it's it was. Very- very unique to that time period, you know, and, um, but, and everywhere we would go in Europe, um, in some way or somehow word got out and, you know, these shows would be, they were quite the event because, and they were so grace, gracious that bands would come all the way over from America because when we went to Europe, there was only a handful of bands that had come over. We were the only discord band that went over the first one. At least it was like us, Black Flag, Toxic Reasons, No Means No, DOA, and that's kind of about about it as far as American bands that were hitting Europe at that time. You know, I'm talking, I'm talking, you know, in the '80s there, in the middle '80s, um, and then obviously that you know that increased you know as the years went by and. Uh, more of a support system was put into place and more and more bands started coming over. But, you know, we were one of the first bands over there, you know. What was the feeling like? Had you been, like, overseas before or when you went with the band? Was that your first time kind of out of the country? That was my first time out of the country for sure. Was it exciting? Um, <laughs> oh, it was totally exciting. Um, it was very exciting for my brother and I because... We come from European descent. You know, my mother's from from Holland, and uh, my father's German on his side. So we, you know, we had relatives over there. So it was really great to go over there and see our relatives, and it was kind of like our second home. And uh, I mean, it was kind of a second home for all of us because we were there so much. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, just traveling in Europe and it's in and of itself is. It's just a wonderful experience. It's the culture, the languages, the food. Um, it's the freedoms that you seem to to have. I mean, a lot of the shows that happened and, and the things that went on would have never gone down in the States. Yeah. Um, Did you, you guys do squat. anything in, like, uh, Eastern Europe, or was it all pretty much Western and Central? Western and Central, I mean... We did play Yugoslavia okay. before the wall. We played Yugoslavia before the wall fell, and before that changed. Uh, and um, we played Slovenia, you know, years later. <clears throat> but that was with wool. But I mean, 
we played uh, played in Eastern Germany before the wall fell. Um, and that was a very weird time. I mean, I remember playing in Yugoslavia, and basically the only way we could play was was uh, we had to play at a college or you know a technical school or whatever. And I remember being we went down to this little cafe to have an to do an interview. And I remember there were guys like sitting at tables around us, you know, with sunglasses and <laughs> reading the newspaper. And they were minding us. They were watching us because we were kind of a political band. And this was before stuff had changed uh, over over there, before the wall fell. And uh, Yugoslavia is no more. But it was a communist country, you know. Um, so it was very, that was very strange. Um, but there are little things like that all over the place. Um, so yeah, it was it was a very special place for us to go. Was it was it? Uh, did I mean I know you guys had some success here in the states as well? But did you feel embraced in Europe a little bit more than maybe the states at first? Um, very much so. I mean, they were just more open to it, and like I said, they were they were just so happy that you came all this way to play. You know what I mean? Um, you know, like I said, like going to Yugoslavia or going to Slovenia and going to these places, they they couldn't believe that we came all the way over there to play. <laughs> so awesome. they were very happy. And, you know, I'll revert back to those kids that drove 18 hours from Italy all the way, you know, all the way to Amsterdam to see a fucking band. It's yeah. like kids in the States would never do that, you know? And also, it's kind of, I mean, a lot of, they do it more now than I think they used to, you know, but, ban- you know, people will buy their tour packages for the summer, you know, and just fuck off for the whole summer and follow the, the, the festival circuit. Yeah. I mean, th- there was, there wasn't anything like that when we were first going over, but now it's like that. And, uh, um, I don't think people in America do it like that. Um, they also do it like that in Japan where kids will, follow a band throughout its whole summer tour cycle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they do that more now. They do that now, and they really didn't do that back then. Um, you know, every town that you came in to play, it was pretty local, localized um, for the most part. So with uh, with you guys doing all the touring overseas and doing touring here in the States and, and whatnot, like uh, – how many records did Scream actually put out on Discord? I know you guys made the jump to Ross at one point, correct? Ross Records, yeah. yeah. Um, well, what did we do? We did five records. We, you know, we did Still Screaming. We did This Side Up. We did Banging the Drum. Um, and then we, after Banging the Drum, we did... Uh, no more censorship for the Ross label. And then um, we ended up doing the last record for discord, which is fumble. What year, what year was that about the fumble record? A fumble. Well, actually fumble was recorded in what? 89. It was after no more censorship. Cause I know no more censorship was in 88. And then you guys are actually re-releasing that now, which we'll get to here in a minute, but right. Yeah, so fumble was after that. He- yeah, it was, we recorded it in 89 and then, uh, and, but it didn't actually get released until 91 or something like that. Okay. And I don't remember the reason what, what the hangup was. Um, other than the fact, you know, that the band had kind of broken up after that, but I mean, the record came out before that anyway, but that was a succession of records. So we did what was it? Four records of discord and one with Ross. Okay. Um, what, what led you guys to kind of the, the end of the band? You just said that the band had broken up around the fumble record. What kind of led to that decision? Well, you know, there was just some dysfunction happening with some members. <laughs> you know, there was some fighting with a few demons and, um, you know, I mean, all bands are kind of dysfunctional in a way, and and shit happens, and you know, it all just kind of came to a head in, in uh, on that last tour, and uh, we just split up because it was we were kind of done with it. You know, all the shit that was happening. 
Did you jump directly into doing wool? I know that you did that with your brother as well. Was that like directly right. after the breakup? Right. No, it wasn't. It, not directly. There was there was some downtime between then. Um, we were just you know trying to figure shit out. Um, because like I said, we kind of broke up in L.A. and and uh, my sister who was living out here at the time, we just all kind of jumped into her house and we're sleeping on the couch and on the floor. And then, um, you know, I would, I went back to DC to get some of my shit and then, you know, just came back out to OA and my brother and I got a place and it wasn't, you know, so it took a while for us to, to get settled in and, and start up wool again or start up wool for the first time. And you guys, uh, did you do a lot of touring with wool, like domestic and international, or what was it like? With oh that yeah, band? yeah, it was basically the, the same thing as Scream. It was once the band got going, um, we just you know just hit the road like we always did with Scream, and you know playing the states, Canada, and then going to Europe. Um, you know, we got picked up by London Records which was cool at the time. And, um, you know, we started going, went to Europe and started doing these really big tours, you know, with like Faith No More and Rage Against the Machine. And it was pretty, it was pretty awesome time. And um, that's how that was going down. Um, So yeah, it was just continuation for my brother, for my brother and I just in a different band, you know? So do you do you ever feel like I, I've done this a couple of times with bands? You you get to a a point, and I guess I wouldn't say popularity, but you get to a point in success level or comfortability, and then something happens to that band, and then you almost want to hit the ground running and just pick up directly where the last band. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. It seems like with Wool that kind of worked for you guys. Yeah, it did. I mean, it did work for us only in the sense that um, it was it was what we always wanted to do and it was just a matter of time before we'd be doing it again. It's all we knew. And, um, you know, with the breakup with scream, we felt that that there was kind of some unfinished business. So we didn't want to waste too much time in getting something else. I mean, there was no second thought. It was like, well, what do we do now? Well, we know what we're going to do. And we just form another band and, and were were you and your? I know your brother sang. So were you and your brother kind of the primary, I guess, songwriters for Scream? And then so it kind of just carried over into Wool. It carried over into Wool. Um, yeah, I guess you could say we're the primary writers. But Pete was was more on the lyrical end of things, and I was more on the music end of things. Okay. And that did continue into Wool. But I mean, you know, with Wool, we, you know, Al. He wrote plenty of music, and the other guys had some ideas as well. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was, I think it was always a collective effort in the end, you know what I mean? So did Wool end up, uh, like, breaking up, or, like, what What did you do after that, if you don't mind me asking? Well, um, well, we'd put out Bud Spawn, which was the first record, and we started touring on that. Okay. And then um, we were, uh, we had all this material to do another record. And uh, basically, you know, London Records just kind of just went to the next band, and they just they just stopped kind of pushing us. Yeah. And in- inevitably just dropped us. And we had all this material. And um, it was after box. I'm sorry, it was after box set that um, the band got dropped, and um, we still had all this material. And so we ended up going out to the desert, um, to the Rancho de la Luna, the studio that um, we'd be, you know, had befriended. My brother met these guys, and so on and so forth, and that became a thing. So we started going out to to the desert and doing these sessions, which became, you know, and we had all this material and we ended up, it never got put out, but that was going to be the next record for Wool, but we'd gotten dropped by London. Yeah. 
Um, so, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, we'd, we'd gotten dropped by London. We had all this material. And, I mean, one thing led to another, and I don't think it, it we we just gotten kind of tired of it. And uh, there was, um, so anyway, um, you know, we tried to, you know, we just tried to do it ourselves and it was, it just became kind of hard. So we just kind of put, put an end to it. And, uh, you know, plus at the same time we had to survive, we had to get jobs and shit like that. And that kind of got in the way. What were some of the jobs that you did, uh, during like that time that, when you didn't know what was going to happen? Um, <laughs> I worked at, at like a, a movie poster house. I was, we didn't make the posters, but we correlated them and sorted them and shipped them out. Uh, I worked at an ice cream parlor for a while. Um, all these silly little jobs. And then I got involved in, uh, you know, production work as a PA on TV commercials and oh, stuff okay. like that. That's cool. And, yeah, well, that it continued into my life as it is now. Um, one of the things I do, I'm, I'm a teamster, and I work on TV commercials, and I work in the art department, you know, building sets. And uh, so, you know, I'm a member of Local 399 and 44 now. That's great, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, union all the way. <laughs> union sure. all the way, man. So after Wool and, uh, you know, you had to get some jobs and whatnot, uh, I read that you ended up in Japan. How did that take, like, you were playing with an artist over I'm there? Sorry, wait a minute. Yeah, you were breaking up. What was the question? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I heard, like, what I was reading when I was doing my research is after Wool was kind of done, uh, you ended up in Japan playing for an artist over there. Can you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, after Wool, I mean... I was here in LA, obviously just kicking around and, uh, a friend of mine, Scott Garrett, he's, you know, played drums in Dag Nasty. He's an old DC guy. He, uh, he was living out here at the time and, um, he'd gotten this gig cause he was doing session work for people here and there. And he'd gotten this gig doing, uh, playing drums for this Japanese, this big Japanese star uh, was doing his, his solo record out here in LA. And the, my family and I, we'd actually, uh, were friends with this uh, guy, Ray McVeigh, who was actually, you know, working on all these records and, um, also working with another Japanese artist, um, named Hide. And, uh, who had the likes of like Paul Raven in the band, you know, the base old bass player from killing joke and shit like that. Wow. But it was through those guys, they were here. So through them, um, you know, they hit me to, uh, you know, Scott was telling me, well, you know, we're, I'm doing this record with a Japanese cat and, uh, they, they need to get the tour. And so basically my hack, my name got to the hat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, so I went down there and hung out with them and met all the guys. And uh, they said, okay, we will call you. You know, <laughs> so, all right. so maybe, maybe they'll call me, maybe they won't. And then, you know, like, I don't know, a few days later, a week later, they fucking called me. And the next thing I know, I'm in fucking Japan. That's awesome, man. This, oh, dude, it was insane. It was a trip. And uh, so I did the one tour. I was doing a... Uh, Came back, we did a video, and then I went over there to do this tour. And uh, it was towards the end of that tour that, uh, you know, my brother had called me because he was tour managing the Foo Fighters at the time. Okay. And uh, he said, I, you know, I think some things are going down with the Foo's. Dave might give you a call. And I was like, all right. So. Um, and were you guys at that point, like, pretty like you know civil like friends because i know like when Dave, oh yeah there was no yeah, issues right yeah. then no no um like i said you know when scream had broken up it kind of run its course and we were all just kind of sick of the shit that was going down 
and um yeah there was we were we all were on good good terms um you know the band broke up for those reasons and um it wasn't because david left i mean dave was only doing the only thing that anybody would have else you know anybody else would have done you yeah. know what i mean got you know i got an offer the band broke up i got an offer to go into this band i'm gonna jump on it definitely yeah so so you're in japan and you get you get the call <laughs> So I'm in Japan, and I get the call from Dave, and he says, yeah, Pat's leaving. Do you want to join the Foo Fighters? I was like, you know, like you got to fucking twist my arm or what? <laughs> so, I, you know, I just told him, well, you know, I'm in, I got, I'm in the middle of a tour here. I got, you know, let me finish out my obligations here. And he was like, absolutely. And uh, so I did that. And then um, right after that, I flew right home. And then flew right to New York, had a day of rehearsal, and then the next day I was out on on the roof of Radio City Music Hall. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's. <laughs> I remember. Fighters. I remember seeing that man. Uh, I I just think that's crazy. You had one day of rehearsal. Did you just rehearse Everlong, or was, that was the song you played? Yeah, right? correct. Yeah, it was just the one song. Um, I actually I teach yeah. guitar, and I teach that I've taught that song probably eighty times. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> it's a it's a it's an awesome song and but the funny thing about it and 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 luckily enough it's like you know after my Foo Fighter run like I told you this Japanese guy he was he had done, he was doing this I was part of a solo record or touring on it and um, he he comes from this band big band called Lunacy over in Japan and after we did that tour he went back and did his band went back to his you know original band because it was just a side thing for him um and so then i go off and do the foos and at the same time that i leave the foos their band breaks up and so this japanese guy whose name is jay he decides to do it so you know obviously he does his solo thing again and he wanted the exact same guys that's great so yeah so scott and i ended up going back over there for the next six or seven years it was crazy so you spent a lot of time in japan <laughs> i spent a lot of time in japan i was there probably there more than i was at home i mean i was for at least five years i was going what three to four times a year anywhere from three to six weeks at a time wow yeah it's pretty brutal <laughs> Yeah, well, it was actually quite wonderful. Yeah, I mean, wonderful, I guess. Brutal schedule, but yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, back to the Foo Fighters for a minute. When you, you joined, it was kind of a breakneck, kind of brutal thing. You just got right in. Did you guys start touring automatically, or like, what was the setup like when you got in the band? We started touring automatically. I mean, we did the New York thing. I don't... I may be a little fuzzy on the timeline, but I remember I, I just think I just came home and I just sat there and uh, learned the you know a couple records on listened to the records and played to the records and then we got together and basically rehearsed out a set for the tour and then it was off to the races you know it was just I just spent the next two years touring and you guys went everywhere right like like South America Asia like everywhere correct. No, sadly enough, I didn't. Was never a part of that. I just, that's one of the things I regret is I didn't get a chance to go to South America. Um, but we pretty much went everywhere else. Yeah, we didn't go to Russia. I'm sure they've been to Russia by now, um, but I did not. And uh, yeah, I wish I could have gone to South America. I've, I've been down there. It's it's quite cool, man. I think you'd like it. You should go. Have you been down there yet? Like since then? no. No, and it's 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 funny too because um, we've gotten a lot of off not offers necessarily, but definitely there's a lot of interest for Screen to come down there and play, but it's just it never has really come together. Um, but never say never. Yeah, totally. I've got you some know? friends down there, so if you guys ever need any like pr- like promoters, let me know. I can hook you up. What? Oh, promoters? Yeah, yeah I, know a lot, I know promoters in, like, Peru, Brazil. So if you guys ever need any, like, you know, contacts, just let me know. Well, that's good to know. Um, yeah, I mean, my brother, he's uh, 
currently he's still tour managing. He tours, tour manages for this band called the Rival Sons. Oh yeah, okay, I've heard of them. Yeah, and he was doing Coheed for the longest time. Uh, I remember when he was doing Coheed because there was a. I used to play in a band called Brazil, and we did mm-hmm. a tour with Coheed. And I don't think at that point he was tour managing. I think he was doing more like actual managing type stuff. And, okay. And uh, he hit me up at one point because I was not in a band and I was looking to tour and he wanted me to go sell merch for some of his bands, but I was actually busy and couldn't go. So I've talked to oh. Pete, I've talked to Pete a couple of times. I wouldn't say that we really know each other, but I've talked to him a few oh. times. Interesting. Well, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so, and now he's, he does pretty much rival sons full time. Cause they've just kind of, they're, they've blown up and, uh, so it's kind of hard for us to schedule things and do things because, I mean, number one, half of us are in L.A. and the other half are in D.C. You know, yeah. we all have jobs and families, and, and it's kind of hard to uh, schedule things on that, you know. So Scream got back together in 2009, uh, and you guys, had you have you put out anything since then, or is it just, is the, the no censorship, no more censorship, uh, remaster or whatever? Is that coming out soon? No, we uh, we put um, no, we did this record complete control session. Okay, um, okay, side one dummy records. That's right, um, I have that in my notes as well. <laughs> yeah, we did that in what 2010. Okay, um, and it was more like an EP. It was only like five or six songs, maybe eight songs. Um, but we got back together, started doing the shows. And, you know, my brother and I, especially me, I'm always writing writing shit. And uh, we always wanted to do it. And um, we were finally able to do so. So we did that record and started doing, you know, shows again when we could. You know, we'd go out to Europe for a week or longer and uh but it they were you know we played very infrequently you know and uh and it, we wouldn't do uh like big tours of the u.s you know we'd play certain cities just because of the time frame that we had we could only work under you know what i mean yeah definitely so but yeah we got got back together like 2009 2010 <clears throat> And you guys are, you guys uh, just recently, it's coming out soon. I've been, I saw it on the internet that uh, your 1988 record, uh, No More Censorship. You guys, did you remix and remaster that? Like, what was the, the process for that? Um, we did both. We remixed it and remastered it. I spent uh, almost two years doing that only because, uh, because we did it at 606. And for everybody that doesn't know, that's Dave's studio, correct? Correct. Um, that's Grohl's studio. And, you know, it's a working studio, and that place is booked out constantly. And we're, you know, Dave let us come in there and do it for free. So it was basically whenever they were down and whenever I wasn't working. So that's why it took as long as it did. Um, because of, uh, you know, when we could get in there and work on it. Um, so over that period, uh, we we'd gotten the tape, the master tapes. We had them baked, had them transferred, and um, you know John Lewinstow, you know the main guy, producer, engineer over at Six Hundred Six. It was him and I, and some you know different engineers here and there. Um, but we came in and um, just I kind of re-envisioned this record and um we basically reamped you know guitars and basses and just stripped away a lot of that 80s all that stupid 80s <laughs> shit <laughs> that was happening yeah at the, at the time you know all that reverb and i was gonna say did you take some of the reverb off the snare because that's pretty you know exactly big in the 80s <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we took all the reverb, all that shit away. We, you know, tried to bring the vocals up front and in your face. We, um, I stripped away a lot of the, you know, because this record it was our first record where we went into like a twenty-four track studio and there was an actual budget. You know, it wasn't yeah. like four track or eight tracks at, at the old inner ear. This was like, wow, it's a real studio, and and 
So being kids and all excited, we just went to town, you know? We just synthesizers and pianos and acoustic <laughs> guitars. And it was a very, it was a great experience, you know, recording that record. And then it was even a more interesting experience going back into it and redoing it. It was, it was a real pleasure. And, um, you know, I envisioned we just basically wanted to strip it down to its basic elements. And, and, you know, like I said, we reamped basses and guitars and, and re-EQ'd a lot of it just, and, you know, Dave came in and, uh, tweaked his drums out and, I think it sounds pretty fucking amazing. It sounds way better than it did before. We were always, you know, we always loved the record song-wise, but we were never happy with the sound of it. And um, so we were very happy that we were able to, uh, you know, get a chance to redo that record. And it was it, it was always something that we wanted to do. It wasn't like, hey, it wasn't like this idea came out to uh, out of the blue to like, hey, let's make some money and... Uh, and re, you know, repress records. We, the, you know, we'd always wanted to redo that fucking record. So what? It, when does it actually come out? Is it out right now? Or I, or I don't think it comes out yet. Does it? It's it's out right now. It came oh. out on April April twenty seventh. Okay, so it just recently came out. Correct. Okay, so everybody needs everybody needs to check that out. <laughs> yeah, Southern Lord Records. Um, you can get it through them, SouthernLordRecords.com, and um, you can probably find it. In your local vinyl shop, if you have one in your town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I live in the um, middle of nowhere in Indiana, so I don't. I have to drive pretty far to get some vinyl. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. It's okay, um, man. But it is out, and it is out there, and um, you know, a lot of people like it. Some people don't, but you know, it is what it is, and yeah, we're very happy with it. Well, I tell you what, man, I don't want to take up a lot more of your time. You've been very gracious for coming on here. I really appreciate it. Um, That's it? I mean, you got me up this early? And I can't, <laughs> <laughs> you're just out of questions. No, but I, I hear your seventh-month-old crying back there. You better. <laughs> yeah, my son is kind of going crazy. My wife lets me do these interviews once in a while when I can get away, and he's going crazy. I didn't know you could hear that. <laughs> no, I heard it. No. <laughs> it's a familiar sound in my world. Well, I'll, I'll, I will ask one last question. Uh, I did read. Sure. On, I did read on uh, when I was doing my research about stuff just to make sure I had everything together uh, that you also were playing in a hardcore Boston band called DYS. Is that still happening? That it's not happening at the moment, but we yeah, I could get a phone call tomorrow that hey, you know we've been offered these shows and I'll go out and do that. That also started happening in in around. 2011. Um, I'm good friends with Jonathan, the bass player. He actually lives not too far from me, and uh, it was almost like the Japanese thing. It was this, "Hey, we're we're going to do these shows. You want to come play guitar?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then I thought it was just going to be a weekend thing, or just you know the run of these shows. And then it it kind of turned into a thing. And for a while there. We were doing shows here and there. We, you know, went to Europe. Wow! And, and we even recorded some stuff, um, some new stuff, and which is, which is out on Bridge Nine Records. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, but there are no plans right now to do anything else. Um, but we're all eagerly awaiting. I mean, we went out last year. Did uh. Did a week and a half in Europe, and that was fucking awesome. Did a Resurrection Fest in Spain, and did a host of shows in Germany, Denmark, and uh, where else did we go? Played in Austria. Yeah, so, like I said, it's like everybody has jobs and, and other obligations. So, whenever we can pull it together, it happens. Well, that's great. Yeah. Hey, um... I guess I've got another question because I don't hear my son screaming now. <laughs> um, hey, so no worries. You've been kind of all over the place like I have. I've been to close to like 50, 60 countries, something like that. Is there one one place that sticks out in your mind that you just loved and like you couldn't get enough of? and Or is there a place that sticks out in your mind that you never, ever want to return to? <laughs> or both. Um, well, 
I don't want to talk about any countries that I don't want to go to because I might have a chance to go there. And True. I don't want to get shit. I get, I get shit through. So let's go, thrown with, at let, me. let's go with your favorite place you've been then. Let's well, go the, the positive route. Oh, uh, that's, that's a hard one. I would um, – Italy was always a very special place for Scream for some strange reason. Um, just the nicest people. Like I said, we'd met those people early on in our in our in our first trips over to Europe and they became friends for life. So always going to Italy was really cool. Um just the the squats and, and leftist social centers over there were so so cool and welcoming and it it was just a wonderful place to be. I mean and Italy's Italy's kind of third world but not third world. Yeah. And um so there's just a rustic, a rustic way of travel, and um, but it's such a beautiful country, and the food is just amazing. And it's, I would say, Italy, Italy and Spain is one of my favorite places to go. I would say that I've been to. But I mean, I love all those European countries, and but yeah, I would say Italy tops the charts for me, anyway. Well, I talk about it on this podcast all the time, but uh, while I was playing with the Ataris, we did two weeks in South Africa, and that was like the craziest thing I'd ever done right. in my entire life. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you been well, down there? South Africa? No, yeah. but I, no. And I know this is no correlation, but Australia, when I went over there with the foods, that was kind of crazy. And um, just the most nicest people you've ever ever want to meet. I mean, also, I couldn't believe how friendly people were over there. Uh, not that in other countries they weren't. It's just, it was just, I was kind of taken back on their, you know, friendliness and graciousness and just really great people. And then Japan, that's a whole nother. <laughs> Japan's like your second home, right? It is. I mean, that's a very, I have a very special place in my heart for Japan. Um, I learned learn Japanese. I got to, you know, I lived and worked with Japanese people. I learned, you know, just got really deep into the culture and just not that I'm walking around in a fucking dashiki or whatever <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a kimono or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Japan is a very, it's, it's a beautiful country. It's a beautiful people, and, and the food there is out of this world. And um, yeah, so that would be a hard one. I mean, I mean, I would Italy and Japan is like my favorite places. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, this has been a great time talking with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I really appreciate you know you being open and honest and telling me about all this stuff and. Uh, I'd love to have you back at some point for a part two, maybe like when Scream puts out like a new record or something, you know? Yeah, man. Um, we're trying to, uh, we may be doing some shows toward the fall. And uh, I've written a handful of, of material as well as some other stuff that we never just got around recording. And we're trying to, the idea is to do something at inner ear over the holidays, okay. which would be which would be really cool and kind of round out the whole cycle of Scream and its life is is to get back and do a record at Inner Ear Studios, you know, the Discord Studio. That'd be awesome, man. Be, yeah. So we hope to do that. And yeah, Christopher, it was a pleasure. I'm, I'm I feel lucky to have me on. I appreciate it. Well, I tell you what, man. If you guys do any shows around Indianapolis, I will be there. <laughs> Gotcha. And I will hopefully remember and reach out to you and let you know that. And in between that, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to me anytime when you want to chat and talk about whatever. Cool, man. Well, hey, I thank you very much. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. And uh, I'll talk to you in the future, man. Thanks a lot. All right, brother. Thank you. Bye. And there it was, my conversation with Franz Stoll from Scream and the Foo Fighters. Had a really good time speaking with Franz. 
Uh, and I have since downloaded the new reissue of No More Censorship. And man, it is stellar. You have to go to iTunes and get the new release this year, 2018, remixed, remastered reissue of No More Censorship. You will thank me. It is a great record. Uh, I'm going to play a song from it here in a second. But before that, let's do a little business. Uh, we had a new band sponsor this for this episode, The Awful Normals, or just Awful Normals, A-W-F-U-L. Uh, they're really, really cool. Like I said, my buddy Heath is actually in the band. He moved out to California and started this band. Uh, if you want to be a band sponsor for an episode, we have some spots coming up, some great guests. Uh, next week, I'm speaking with Tucker from Thursday. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with Rick Thorne, legendary BMX bike rider. Uh, I've got so many good guests coming up. So if you guys are interested in sponsoring an episode, please get in touch with me at TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. Now that that's out of the way, uh, I'm going to get back to Franz. We're going to play Building Dreams from that reissue that we spoke about, the No More Censorship reissue. Uh, This is one of my favorite songs by Scream. I love the guitar work. There's this crazy solo that Franz plays. And uh, so here it is, Building Dreams by Scream. See you guys next week.
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.